It is a sport as old as man itself. From the ancient Greeks to the British Empire, all the way to the Gracie family, men and women have partaken in this art of combat with the promise of honor and glory in mind. Now, WFUV Sports will bring you into that realm with in-depth analysis and opinions on the goings-on in the world of boxing and mixed martial arts. This is the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound podcast. Oh, they said it couldn't be done. They said it would never work. But yet here we are. This is, as I had just said, not live, of course. This is the WFUV Sports Pound for Pound podcast, the inaugural edition on this fantastic Wednesday, September the 7th. In the year 2016, my name is James Cargan. Alongside with me, alongside me was going to be Mr. Tom Terzuli, but in classic UFC fashion, he pulled out late, unfortunately, with a very sore throat. And since he is the voice of God, we wish him Godspeed on his recovery. Wouldn't want to ruin those perfect pipes behind the glass. Is the Renaissance man himself, Rafael Ella? He. He's done about 18 things already this week. I believe he already washed the dishes in the kitchen. He already cleaned these microphones. He already did all the morning updates for today. Rafael Ella, the man for all seasons. What a weekend we've got coming up. My goodness. We've got Golovkin against Brooke, and we'll get into all of that. Shenanigans, my goodness. We've got UFC 203. And in this show, a little bit later, not too far, not too much later, we've got a conversation with a man they call El Terror, Jimmy Rivera, the 12th ranked bantamweight in the world, who is fighting, of course, the California kid, Uriah Faber, in Cleveland, Ohio, at UFC 203. The main event, of course, being Stipe Miocic, defending his heavyweight title against Alistair Overeem in a heavyweight division of hot potato. Who wants the belt? Who on earth knows who wants the belt? That belt is dropped uh, as often as I breathe, uh, like they breathe, honestly. Their previous holder of the belt, of course, Fabricio Verdum, Verdum, taking on Travis Brown in a somewhat anticipated rematch of a decisive victory by Fabricio a couple of years back. And then, of course, CM Punk. The Enigma himself. Charles Montgomery Punk. Of course, not his actual name. His name is Phil Brooks. Taking on Jersey's own Mickey Gall in one of the most anticipated debuts in UFC history. I feel like I'm about to watch a car wreck. It's like when... When you see when you see something on the road, when you see a car turned over on the turnpike, you can't you don't want to look, but you can't turn away. This is what this fight is. Okay, CM Punk, and we'll get into this, of course, later, but he's got some 
He's got some guts going into the octagon. And Mickey Gall, I think, is no slouch. But, of course, we'll get into that. And the aforementioned bout between the California kid, the legendary Uriah Faber, and New Jersey's own, like myself, Jimmy Rivera, El Terror. And I spoke to Jimmy a little bit earlier today, and we talked about the fight, and let's take a listen. Here we are with Jimmy Rivera now. Jimmy, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? We're doing great. Uh, I don't know if I should congratulate you or if you should congratulate us uh, for having you on our inaugural show. Uh, I don't know either way. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Oh, it's, all, it's it's our pleasure. Now, I got to ask, what is a Puerto Rican kid from North Jersey doing in the octagon with Uriah Faber? How did you get here? Um, I started training when I was a kid, um, around like eight, nine years old in martial arts, and kind of one thing led to another. And, you know, we always want to, you know, perfect and be better in the martial arts. And, you know, I started competing, and, uh, you know, again, one thing led to another, and now I'm here fighting your eye favor this Saturday. Your relationship with Tiger Shulman, your mentor, has been well-documented. Can you just talk about what he's meant to you throughout your career getting to this point? Yeah, he's like, you know, he's like another father figure. He's uh He's like a father figure of coach, and he's there to guide me and, 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 you know, help me get to where I want to be. And, you know, we're like a big family, Tiger Showman, so it's, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling, unbelievable to have that positive reinforcement around. Now, I don't think I need to tell you the accomplishments that Uriah Faber has had in the cage. He's had as many submission wins as you've had total wins in your admittedly young career. How do you prepare for a guy like Uriah Faber that ha- that can attack from so many levels, can hurt you on the ground, can ground and pound, can choke you out? How do you prepare for a guy like that? Um, you just train. That's it. You train. You watch tape, and you see what he does, and you work on it, and you prepare for everything he's going to throw at you. He's of course a world class wrestler. You haven't re- you haven't yet to be taken down in your UFC career, albeit against not top-level wrestlers. are. Do you feel like you are prepared for his uh, high level of wrestling? Yeah, definitely well-prepared. You know what I mean? Really well-prepared. I mean, I face really high-level wrestlers outside of the OC, and I train with high-level wrestlers for this fight, so I feel really good about it. Well, there's plenty of those around in New Jersey. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. We've got many a wrestling community in New Jersey. Your Your strength so far really has been on the feet and with the fists. You showed that very well against Munoz. And even in your last fight, which I did attend, fantastic effort in front of your home fans. Uriah Faber, of course, has been around the block. Are you confident with him on the feet? Yeah, for sure. Very confident with him on the feet, with the rest and with everything, honestly. That's that's very good to hear, of course. You've got... The New Jersey, the New York area community behind you. How does do you do you consider it a it a a goal for you to increase the profile not just of yourself but of your sport in this area in the tri-state area, of course, with UFC 205 in M- MSG in November. 
Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? I want to, you know, make make my state proud, make my, you know, my hometown proud and, and uh, really, you know, get established kind of like, you know, like Frankie has, Frankie Edgar. Oh yeah, that's 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 one that's one to look up to. Of course, Uriah Faber did fall to Frankie Edgar. What 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 do you think his weaknesses are in the cage? Um, Faber? Not not um, yes, Uriah Faber. Uh, not to not not to ask you to give too much away. Um, I, you know. I think he's always been at the same level where he's at. He's always done the same stuff in his fights. He's never really evolved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Is as a you know, we're taught as a martial artist, you always work what you're good at and what you're not good at. And I feel like you know, some people that don't have the martial art background don't work on everything. They work on everything that's the most important thing. You can't just work on one aspect of the sport. You have to work on every single aspect of the sport and keep getting better and better. Yeah, that's an interesting assessment, especially with Faber's record all-time in title bouts. He hasn't won one since, I believe, 2007. So that's that's an interesting assessment of where Uriah Faber is as a fighter. Where do you see yourself as a fighter? Do you see yourself getting better every day and improving on your previous impressive efforts? Yeah, for sure. I feel like it every day. I mean... Even when I don't have a fight coming up, I'm still in the training room getting better, training with my teammates and help them get better and help myself get better at the same time. So, you know, I feel as, you know, as a fighter, I've been improving and I don't think you ever stop improving as a fighter. You just keep getting better, better and better and keep learning more and more. We're talking with Jimmy Rivera. I believe you were the 13th ranked bantamweight in the world as if it, as if the numbers really matter. Do you even look at the rankings? No, no. Yeah, I, I don't see... Uh, unless you've got that C next to your name, I don't think... I don't I don't really see a fighter looking at that at that rankings page. No, not... Yeah, not at all. I mean, sometimes you look at it, it doesn't even make sense. So I, I really don't look at it. I just want to keep fighting the best and work my way to the top. Well, that's... That's very good to hear. I've I've... I'm so, I've compared uh, fighting a guy that's good on the ground and good with the takedowns. I've compared that in the past to when you're hitting in baseball, when you're facing a guy with a lot of breaking balls. He can the pitcher can change your eye level, can make you uncomfortable in the batter's box. Is that uh, an issue in the cage as well? Fighting a guy that has multiple that is skilled in multiple aspects of martial arts. Um. For sure, I mean, you have to be able, you know, going into a fight to change up your game plan, and you know, what I mean, if you're that's why it's so important to be good at every aspect. So you should be able to change your game game plan right there and then, and be like, all right, do this instead of this, and know that you could do it to the full potential. So, um, you know, what I mean, it's 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 when someone's really well rounded, it's hard to beat someone like that. What now? You're we haven't found too much wrong with your previous three uh, UFC fights. What do you look to, what have you tried to improve on with your three, uh, with your first three fights that you need to get better with in order to stay in the fight with Uriah? Everything. Everything. You know what I mean? Grappling, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, everything. You know, I just, like I said before, I really don't want I really don't want to be good at one thing, not the other. So I want to be 
my full potential for everything and keep getting better at everything. So I really work on everything all the time, you know what I mean? Not just, you know, focus on, you know, everything. I mean, the last fight was on the feet the whole time. You know, Yuri, I knew Yuri was going to try to take me down, but still even preparing for that fight, I still worked my takedowns and my grappling and all that, just to be ready for it. I believe you took down Alcantara four times in your fight in Newark, uh, including that impressive slam you had at the end of that first round. I'm not, is that in your arsenal at all against Faber, even though he's so dangerous on the ground? Yeah, of course. Of course it is because I can always, you know, I always change it up. I don't want to, you know, obviously get my game plan, but I can always change it up and I always like to keep someone out of their comfort zone. We're talking with Jimmy Rivera here on the inaugural WFUV Sports Pound for Pound podcast. Jimmy fighting the California kid Uriah Faber this Saturday in Cleveland, UFC 203. Just a que- just another quick question. Um, we always see when you're an athlete in, let's say, basketball, you're a rookie going up against LeBron James, a guy that they've been watching for so many years. Is this the same thing with Uriah Faber? with you probably most likely having watched him for almost a decade now that he's been around. What's it going to be like to be in the cage with a mixed martial arts legend like Uriah Faber? Um, you know, I, I, I said it before to you at the end, you know, he is a legend, but at the end of the day, you know, when we get in the cage, he's got two arms and two legs like I do, and, you know, we both bleed the same color. So there's no difference in there. You know what I mean? I just get in there and doing what I love to do, and that's it. Really, um, I don't see like huge of the end. He might have some more experience on me, but that—that's really it. I don't really see a a, a difference from that. I feel I'm ready and I'm, I'm looking forward to the fight. As we all are, Jimmy. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here on this inaugural Pound for Pound podcast, and best of luck to you on Saturday. No problem. Thanks for having me. Having me, I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Have a good one. You too. And that was my conversation with Jimmy Rivera not too long ago. Thanks a lot to El Terror himself for giving us the time in his fight week preparations. Now, in terms of the matchup itself, first of all, I am very... that The assessment that Rivera gave of Faber is startlingly accurate because Uriah Faber has lost his last seven championship bouts. First of all, the fact that he's had so many championship bouts is incredible in itself. But, you know, as did the Brooklyn Dodgers, he's he's lost them all. He has not held a UFC belt. He's po- probably the greatest fighter to never hold a UFC championship belt. He did, of course, hold the belt in the WEC, but in the UFC, not so much. But Jimmy Rivera, in his previous fights, he looked very impressive on the feet, as I did say in the interview. His fight with Munoz, he popped him with jabs, popped him with rights. So accurate. In the fight against Alcantara, took him down four times in that bout. Only 27 years old, which... I mean, in in MMA years, it's so young. But, I mean, going up against a guy like Uriah Faber, Uriah Faber is 37. 
at some point he's going to lose it, right? I mean, how many times is he going to keep climbing the ladder, back up the ladder, falling back down the ladder after losing a title fight, and then climbing back up to that same spot? I mean, can he lose it? I mean, he's in great shape. He fights a style that suits him so well. You know, when with his takedowns, with his submissions, 19 career submissions. I think that's the most all-time in the UFC, WEC, Strikeforce, Pride, uh, Foursome. I'm not sure about that list, but he's got 19 submissions, which is an unbelievable amount. But I think he- Jimmy can hang with him. You know, I really think he can hang with him. Will he beat him? Ah, You know, I really want to say yes because I like the guy. He's a humble kid from Jersey. You know, he he climbed through the ranks. He fought in AC in the Ring of Honor. He fought in Bellator. He fought on the Ultimate Fighter. He has three wins in his UFC career. But it's... And the crowd's going to be behind favor. Not that it really matters. I don't think that when you're a fighter, you can hear that. But it's just, it's tough. It's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be a good fight, too. There's going to be, I I see a high-volume fight. Uh, Rivera says he the takedown could be in his arsenal. I'm not so sure about that in in re- in reality. Because um, his his strength is on the feet, there's no doubt about that. And Faber's strength is on the ground. But he would send a he would send a message if he were to really get some ground and pound on Faber. So you never know. But I think he can hang with Uriah in the standup, and if he can stay on the feet for three rounds and not get taken down, I like his chances. I really do like his chances, but you know what? As we know, anything can happen in the cage, including pro wrestlers in the cage, and that's what we're going to get to now. CM Punk, the straight-edge superstar, the cult of personality. Actually, oh, there we go. Oh, boy. Rafa with quick hands there. On that song. He actually used that song in pro wrestling. It's almost as much hype about what song he's going to come out to in the cage as as there is for the fight itself. Fighting Mickey Gall from fighting out of Greenbrook, New Jersey, is Gall. Punk, of course, from his hometown of Chicago, Illinois which he represented very well in WWE. One of the best professional wrestlers of this generation is CM Punk. I loved him. I really did. He he had the flair. He was real. He had the charisma and he still does. He's a talk he could talk like McGregor in his sleep. I mean, if he were to actually fight well, the sky's the limit for this guy. But the thing is, he's got to fight well because he's never fought. He has literally no previous... And we all know this, of course. 
no previous experience in any martial art, in any fight. I don't even know if this dude has even, you know, wrestled with a sibling. Okay, his only previous experience is in the WWE ring. Uh, that, of course, is not mixed martial arts. Mickey Gall has been in the octagon almost as little as CM Punk. He knocked out that... He, he fought a guy that wasn't very good. Mike Jackson, I believe, was his name. Knocked him out about two seconds in his only previous UFC fight. And here he is now fighting Punk. He's looked good. You know, he was on Dana White's reality web series, Looking for a Fight, where Dana White goes around the country, you guessed it, looking for a fight. And he found Gall in New Jersey, and he saw Gall whoop this dude, and he said, you know what, why not? That's the whole. That's the. That should be the tagline for this whole fight. Why not? Is punk, punk in the UFC. Why not? You know, let's get uh, Randy Orton to come in here as well. But in all seriousness, I do not have a clue what we're going to see. Obviously, since we've never seen Punk in an in an octagon or a ring or a street fight or anything. For all we know, he could get knocked out in two seconds. For all we know, he could hang with Gall. Gall deserves to be the favorite, obviously. But I re- But if I were to make a prediction, there's just no way at the age of 37 or whatever Punk is that he can just lace up the boots. There, the gloves, I should say. There are no foot gear in. There is no foot gear in MMA. Lace up the gloves come into the octagon and beat a professional mixed martial artist, even for a guy like him, who's still a very good athlete. That's just too much to ask. I know the wrestling community is rooting for Gall because they want to see Punk back in the WWE, and a little bit selfishly I do as well. But at the same time, it's you sort of want him to win just so he can say he did it just so he can stick around. But ultimately, and and in his reality show, and in his training, sort of like a 24-7 that he's had on FS1, it showed him sparring. He's gotten killed every time by these no-name guys, showing his progression. Of course, there's heavy editing in these shows, trying to make him look bad at first, showing his improvement. Oh, he's ready now for the fight. He he's I think he's gonna go down. I think he's gonna get KO'd. I really do. And and I don't wanna say that. I like the guy. You know, but the cage is unforgiving. But you never know. We've seen we've seen uh some advantageous uh stuff happen in fight sports in the past, most notably in boxing, but the cage is just so unforgiving. Mickey Gall is hungry, and CM Punk is not a fighter. There you have it. But we'll all watch anyway, just just to see the wreckage or the shock of the century. Now, 
what is not a shock of the century is that Fabricio Redoom is still on the top of his game, fighting Travis Brown, rematch of the fight that they had a couple years ago, which Verdum won. Now, look, heavyweight UFC bouts are, it's like playing slots. You get caught with one and you're cooked, especially with Brown. They're so hard to predict, and that's really one of the reasons, and we'll get into that when we talk about Stipe and Alistair Overeem, but that's really why we've seen so much volatility in this UFC heavyweight division. You just never know what's going to happen. There's Nobody has made more than two defenses of the UFC title, UFC heavyweight title, ever. Think about that. Only two defenses successful than done. Not even Cain Velasquez could get more. And I think he's the greatest, I think he's the best heavyweight in the world. And, of course, Verdum beat him in Mexico because Velasquez wasn't prepared for the altitude. And then Stipe beat Verdum on crazy, crazy knockout. Verdum chasing his, him in the octagon. Stipe just turning, turning around and just wailing on him. One punch, cooked. And here we are. Verdum versus Travis Brown. Travis Brown is your prototypical UFC heavyweight. He just throws bombs. And that's mostly all he does. Okay, he can wrestle a little bit. He won't be able to wrestle against Redoom with his jiu-jitsu background. Not at all. No. If he takes him down, he's getting right back up. Or else he's cooked. But But Brown... Every time I see him, and you saw it, of course, against Arlovsky when he had that crazy crazy fight, he's just undisciplined. And you saw that in the first meeting. He's just so undisciplined. He's trying to knock him out every punch. That was a five-round fight, so he got worn out. He got tired. He lost every round and wasn't close. Verdum is just level-headed. He's cool. He pops him with jabs. He pops him with combos. He stays within himself. There's a lot of flaws in Verdum's game. He doesn't I I don't think he has the one he doesn't have one punch knockout power like Brown does. He doesn't he it would take a lot to hurt Brown. Brown's got a good chin. He's huge, of course. Verdum doesn't have the power of say a guy like Arlovsky. But at the end of the day, you know, Verdum is just a more skilled mixed martial artist. He's so He's been very good on the stand-up game. He's If he ever goes down, if he pulls guard on Brown, forget it. I mean, Brown's tapping now if that happens. So this is going to stay on the feet. This is going to be... And, and, let's, and Brown is yet to learn. A lot of guys in the UFC, they don't really learn from their past losses. All these guys take so many losses. Guys with 14, 13 losses in their career. Why do you think? They, they, they fight the same way. So many guys don't really, you know, they shake it off, they go back, they train. Travis Brown is the same guy. And, and of course, the point that Jimmy Rivera made about Faber, 
him being the same fighter, you know, forever, it's true. It's not an accident that Faber hasn't won a UFC title belt. He hasn't beaten Henan Barrow, Dominic Cruz, all these guys. He lost to Edgar. I mean, he just can't get over the hump because he he's just stayed there. And Brown's the same way, even though when he fights guys like Mark Hunt, guys that are with similar styles, he's a bigger, more powerful man. And he is the bigger, more powerful man than Verdum, but Verdum... I, I don't see him losing this fight. Unless, you never know, he could get caught. Anybody could get caught. It's the UFC. I You could get caught in the first punch of the fight, like Jose Aldo did against, you know, McGregor. You could be lights out in 10 seconds. But, you know what? Doom is just a more skilled fighter. Obviously, he's good on the stand-up. He's more disciplined. Brown is... Tends to punch himself out at times. The smart money for me is on Verdum. And so he can get back in the always entertaining heavyweight title hunt. Which will continue, of course, with the main event on Saturday. Stipe Miocic fighting in front of his hometown fans in Cleveland. Gets the big Dutchman Alistair Overeem. And who wants this belt? I don't know. I mean, how many we we are we really going to see three straight heavyweight title fights end with a new champion? I mean, at some point it it gets kind of ridiculous. We it gets to the point where the belt is just an accessory. If everybody can just beat everyone at any given moment, then what good is the belt? You know, you're just gonna get you're just gonna get knocked out, like like Verdum did against Stipe, and Stipe, you know, he's a great fighter. Uh, let's let's be honest, he doesn't have the pedigree or the experience of Overeem, but his boxing, his stand up, obviously knocking out Verdum with one punch is fantastic. His wrestling is off the charts. We saw that within the his fight with Mark Hunt. Mark Hunt has zero takedown defense, and boy was he taken down! Like felt like seven or eight times. I'm sure it was less, but Stepe just lived on top of Hunt in that fight. And Overeem has good takedown defense. We saw that when he beat Lesnar in his UFC debut. Of course, he had fought all over the place before then. But he's another... You know, Overeem's another guy, I think, that the baseball analogy applies to. That I asked Jimmy Rivera earlier on in the show. The analogy is that when you're fighting a guy... When you're in the batter's box in baseball, you're facing a guy like Kershaw, you're worried about that big curveball, you're worried about that slider... You know, you're off balance. You're thinking too much. You shouldn't even be thinking in the batter's box. You should just be swinging. You're all, but you're thinking too much. You're wondering, okay, what's going to come next? You know, and then you're off balance. And then you're out. A similar thing like that can happen in the cage. Alistair Overeem, for example. He, his kicks 
are fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. We saw that when he knocked out Arlovsky. I believe it was Arlovsky. I, I, yeah, I think it was Arlovsky. When he knocked him out with that switch kick and that one punch, when he took, when he destroyed Brock Lesnar's body, when he kicked, when he destroyed Roy Nelson's body with those brutal kicks. He's got that oblique kick. He's got that patented left left roundhouse kick to the body. He's got power in his fists. He's got great takedown D. You know, there's a lot that can go through your head when you're fighting a guy like Overeem. I think he has a wider arsenal than Stipe does. Stipe's got the power, I think, to hurt him. But pull the slot. Who knows? I mean, I, I'm i going to pick... My pick is... Overeem, just because I think he's on his game and he's coming back from his drug suspension. He looked very good uh, after faltering a bit after he came back. Since, guess what, when you're not taking steroids, you're not at the same level. That that's, shouldn't be hard to understand, but, you know, ever since ever since then, he's come back strong. And I like him in this fight. And guys, some and guys lose at in their hometown fights more often than not. I believe. I don't know why. Maybe there's more pressure. The crowd is going to be so behind Stipe, just like the crowd in Sweden was when Gustafsson got smoked by Johnson. Just like the crowd, you know, in just like all the crowds in Brazil are when they're seeing their fighter and. You know, guys, and Cain and Velasquez in Mexico is is another great example. You know, and I just see, and maybe that gets into somebody's head. I don't, I don't know. I've never had twenty thousand people cheering for me. Maybe I will someday, but who knows? I see a smirk from Raphael's face in the back. But I like Overeem in this fight. I think he's got too many weapons. I think he's the more powerful fighter. But like I said, one punch, and you're out. So there you have it for UFC 203, at least in my respectable opinion. Hopefully it is respectable to some. Now we're going to get into the other main event for this weekend. Who to thunk it? Gennady Golovkin versus Kell Brook. Kelbrook is, let's get this out of the way. We all know this by now. He's nuts, okay? Kelbrook is so crazy for taking this fight. He didn't even have to. He didn't even have to take this fight. He could have taken the fight with Jesse Vargas to unify the IBF and WBO welterweight title belts. Oh, by the way, Kell Brook is a welterweight, and Gennady Golovkin is a middleweight. That is a difference of 13 pounds fighting for Golovkin's middleweight title belts, except for the WBA belt, which they pulled out because it's ridiculous. Kell Brook could have had a 
world title unification fight on his hands. And I know what the boxing pundits are saying. He's fought ever since he beat Sean Porter to give him his first loss. He's been fighting all these scrubs. He's fought three guys that have had no business being in the ring with him. He stopped them all. Stopped his last fighter, terrible fighter, in the second round with an easy knockout. A mandatory challenger from the IBF, which is an issue all in itself. But he's had nothing, he's had no high-profile opponents since he, since he beat Sean Porter, who is a top-five welterweight. And the people are saying, oh, he needed the, he wanted the payday. He, he had no choice. He should have, he, he's right to take this fight. He's got the belt. You know, some guys, the belt doesn't matter. When you're an undefeated champion with a win over a top five fighter, there still is a target on your back, even if you're not fighting a top-level guy every fight. He could have had two belts. And when, if he was to win and unify the two championship belts, there would be no avoiding him at that point. But instead, he's possibly committing career suicide by going into the ring against arguably the best fighter in the world. 22-fight knockout streak, I believe. This dude hasn't even been touched. I, I, every time I see Triple G in the ring, it's, it's, it's beauty. He can hit you in so many ways. He's so skilled. He's a smart fighter. He's the antithesis, I think, of Travis Brown in that sense. Because he's packed so much punch, and he paces himself. He knows exactly when to go in for the kill. And against Kell Brook, that'll be early. Now, we're hearing all this stuff about, oh, Kell Brook is outweighing Golovkin at the seven-day mark. He's wearing 175, which is crazy, by the way. How could he, 175? The guy, the guy fights normally at 147. I don't care, but I don't care if he, I don't care if he comes into the ring looking like Fat Albert, red red sweater and all. He's gonna go down, and go down, hard. But you know what? In all honesty, though, the weight gain could maybe keep him in because he does pack a punch. I think he's the second best welterweight fighter in the world. I think he's the second best power puncher in the welterweight division behind only Keith Thurman. Okay, this guy can knock... This guy can hurt you at 147 and he can knock you out. And he's shown it time and time and time again. There's always been this stigma with these British dudes. You know, they fight all these guys in England and they knock them all out. They look great doing it, but then they come over to America. And Ricky Hatton's a guy like that. And they don't do well. Ricky Hatton only fought two guys outside of England, I think. Two high-profile guys, at least. And it was Mayweather and Pacquiao. And Mayweather knocked him out cold. And Pacquiao, that was his last... That was Hatton's last fight. So you see a lot of British guys fighting... 
no names in Britain, coming over to the U.S. as a mandatory challenger. Brooke was a mandatory challenger when he won the, his, his belt. And you know that they will deal with mandatory challengers. They're always overlooked. They're always throwaway fights. But he did, but not, not Brooke, no. So from that sense, if he really is that big, he's going to hit with some power. The, the thing is, he's never been hit with power like Golovkin. You know, guys can have a game plan all months leading into a fight. Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I'm going to box him. I'm going to go on the outside, try to throw some hooks, go combo here, hit him in the body. When you get hit with that first punch, guess what? Goodbye. That All of that stuff, out the window. And that's what I think will happen with Kell Brook. I just don't see how he can take Golovkin's punishment for so long. Because all these guys at 160, they can't do it. No, Nobody's gone 12 with Gennady Golovkin. Nobody. So, there was no reason under the sun for Kell Brook to take this fight. There's so many money fights to be made at welterweight, too. It's not like he was going to scrounge around and fight, you know, Switchyard Sullivan in a pub in Britain. It was either, it's not like it was either Switchyard Sullivan or Golovkin. He had fight, he was, he's the champion of the world. Okay, he was set up to unify two belts. That's a big deal. We don't see that a lot in boxing. That would have put a major target on his back. That would have put him on the radar for guys like Keith Thurman, a rematch with Porter, fights with guys, maybe even Pacquiao in the future, guys like Adrian Broner, you know, Danny Swift Garcia. He had he could have had no shortage of fights like that and be the world champion and be undefeated. Because that one can hurt. Especially this one. So, Golovkin's a seven, minus 700 favorite in this fight. That's a huge line. Honestly, I was surprised it wasn't bigger. I know Kell Brook is a great fighter. But at the end of the day, Gennady Golovkin is just too overpowering. And once Brook gets hit with that first overhand right behind the ear, I mean... He's going to say, why? Why did I do this? But you never know. And it would be the biggest boxing upset in the, 21st, in, this, in the 21st century so far if Brooke were to pull this one off. Um, but I just, I don't think anybody in their right mind would pick Brooke to win this fight. Almost done with the show. One more tidbit to cover. Finally, finally, Tyson Fury is ready to lace him up again. After basically a year layoff and in all likelihood nine months of those spent partying, he's ready once again. He's ready to finally defend his world heavyweight title against Vladimir Klitschko. October the 29th, 
just announced today, of course, Fury shocked the boxing world and snooze and put everybody else to sleep when he upset Vladimir Klitschko and took the belt from him in a fight where Klitschko, being Klitschko, tried to paw at him, Fury doing his thing, just trying to barroom brawl him. It, it, it was it was a mess. It really was a mess. And then they were going to have the rematch, and Fury's, of course, not in any shape whatsoever to fight him. And so he pulled out with, an, and I am doing air quotes right now, ankle injury, widely, widely speculated to have been him just not being ready. But maybe he is. You know what? The heavyweight title is on the line. Vladimir Klitschko is is he's a lot he's a lot of things. Not many of them are good. Okay, he's gonna put you to sleep and win a te- and win a decision in the process. The only entertaining the main obviously the main entertaining thing about this one is Fury and his brash personality. These guys really don't like each other. Like they like a lot of boxing and MMA promos or like wrestling promos. They're fake. They're rehearsed. These guys really don't like each other. So October 29th, we're all set for that. It'll be it'll be interesting. Just like every everything is with Tyson Fury these days. But I believe that's going to wrap it up uh, for myself and my partner also being myself. We wish Tom Terzulli the best of luck in his recovery from his sore throat. Thank you to the Renaissance man, Rafael Elia, or Elias, as he likes to be called. Of course, he's a stickler on everything. We'll see you next week. We will recap all the action from this weekend. We'll look ahead to... Canelo Alvarez versus Liam Smith in Arlington for Liam Smith's junior middleweight belt. And until then, we will see you later.